With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to October's 1865 Forest Rumble podcast. I'm Rich Ferraro, and I'm joined today by Baz. Hi there. Hello. Uh, the Maradon the Midlands, hello. Hello. And Stephen Topless, howdy. Hello. And uh, let's be honest, it's not really a happy time to be doing a Forest podcast, is it? Because we're five matches in and we've only scored one goal and that was a bit of a wonder strike yesterday. Um, and no points and the pressure is absolutely piling on to the point where people are actually sending out tweets suggesting that the manager has been relieved of his duties. Um, We're not going to comment on that because I guess the only time it's official is when it's official. But uh, Baz, you did a report on yesterday's match. um, So we don't need to go over too much of it. It's available on your feed. But um, I think what's most interesting about yesterday's match, despite the result, is the fact that Forrest at least started to create some chances. I'd say in in many ways it was the for 70 minutes it was the best performance I've seen a forest side do under Lamushi. Um we played a diff, completely different style which was very very driven from midfield moving forwards whenever we could um there was uh passion and anger and as I made the point in the match report about Colback there was a moment where suddenly Colback suddenly thought right I'm going to have to do this and then he just drove the rest of the team on. And I was, it was like, this is watching a, a proper captain run a team. Stephen, I will um, come to you now. And just one of the, you know, the, one of the sticks that's been used to beat Sabri with um, so far this season has been that lack of, well, any willingness to cross the halfway line. Did you see signs yesterday that actually that somewhere within Sabri, there is a recognition of the fact that the style of play needs to change and we need to find ways of attacking. Definitely. I think there was, there was more mobility in the way Forrest attacked and there was more willingness to get bodies forward and, and try and play on the front foot. 
one of the big criticisms of Sabri throughout his time as Forest manager has been that he's he's not a very re, he's kind of a passive manager. He lets teams come onto us and then we rely on them making mistakes, them losing the ball, and we catch them on the turnover. But there were signs yesterday, and also I think signs in the Huddersfield game that Forest were trying to play more on the front foot and more positively and. It's, it's it's a shame, really, that the results haven't backed it up because on the back of the run of form we've had going now, it carries back into last season, it looks like, you know, time is really running out and he might not get the opportunity to, 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 to develop the team in the way that I think it is beginning to develop and you are starting to see a change in style. Maradona of the Midlands... Um... All the way through last season, even during the good times, you were quite sceptical about the style of play and you're pointing out the Forest weren't using the ball very well at the best of times and it ended up being kind of um, down to the full-backs and wingers to kind of get the ball up the pitch. Have you seen signs that... Any glimmers of hope, let's put it that way. Well, the second half against Cardiff and the second half uh, yesterday do offer hope but both, what both of those things, t- games have in common was that we were 2-0 down at the time so there's just a part of me that wonders whether that was the opposition just dropping off happy with a two goal lead um, and letting us sort of have more of the ball and just sitting back and also whether it was just the players rather than Sabri saying because uh, Baz just mentioned uh, Jack Colback sort of, sort of just seemed to sw- a switch seemed to go off in him and he said, I'm going to drive this team forward. I, I wonder if, if that was sanctioned by Sabri. Because I, I find it hard to believe that he'd let his his main sitting midfielder give him the instruction to start going forward like that, even at 2-0 down. So um, I hope that's a sign that Sabri has changed. Um, but I've just, I'd rather see it when we're not 2-0 down and then have the proof that it is uh, a pre-organised uh, tactic rather than just reacting to being 2-0 down and the players are saying, oh, sod it, let's just have a go. But, um, Baz, I mean, we grew up watching Forest in the 80s and 90s and there were times, even under the greatest manager we've ever had and then under Frank Clark, where it was still a case of you'd need a player, a Stuart Pearce, a Colin Cooper, um, someone like that. Even Stan Collymore actually leading from the front, who would just kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck. That's just football, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I'm I'm not the, the 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 positive thing for me was that we actually went out and did that. And there were times, even last season, when things were going well, when we didn't have a player that would do that. Um, one of the thing, the the best, the, the biggest positive for me from yesterday was Arter and Colback gave us a real load of bite in midfield. And we always harp back to Paul McKenna under Billy Davis. But he gave us a bit of that. There was a, there was a lot of... Yeah, Arter in particular was going up to the referee every time he disagreed with a, with a decision. So all that stuff of getting in the, the opponent's face and making it happen, which is something I've, we've not really seen over the last sort of year. I would also say that um, with Watson gone it makes it all the more mystifying that Michael Dawson hasn't been in there because as the experienced man who knows how to talk to refs, knows how much to push it um, with refs and so on, um, and and is also quite good at getting in the ref's ear. I mean, that's definitely something that was missing um, 
in the first few matches, wasn't it, Stephen? And um, is obviously with no real kind of time for the squad to gel, do you think that's something that, that we have been missing? And, you know, do you think that's something whereby... I mean, there's some some talk yesterday in the first half that he was going to bring on Dawson as a first half sub after conceding the second goal. So, do you think we've been missing that, particularly in those defensive positions? I do. Yeah. I mean, for the, the I think um, with all the defensive reinforcements we've brought in, if you look at Mbeso and McKenna, and then you look at our own players that we already had, Figueredo and Warrell, who were playing, these players. They've got talent, they've got ability, but they're not, they haven't got the experience that a Dawson has got, for example. And we probably have missed that leadership in there at the back, who, somebody who can talk, who can guide, and who can just read the game with their experience and, and kind of bring everybody else with them. And even losing Ben Watson, I think, has had an effect. I think Ben Watson's role in that team was obviously playing as that sitting midfielder and almost that brain of the team as Lamucci called him last season. But also he was a player who wasn't afraid to speak and talk to, to others around him. And if players were not stepping up or if players needed a bit of guidance, Watson was somebody in there who would provide that. So if, you, if you're talking in terms of just pure leadership and getting somebody in there who's vocal and who can, who can talk to a back four, talk to a midfield and, and just get the team kind of organised. And I think we are, we are missing that. And that perhaps is where a Dawson could come in and, and be quite valuable now. And I would also say that, you know, in the first couple of matches, even um, after the match against um, against QPR, I would, have, I would have said that there's a strong case there to like take Figueroa at the firing line, which he has been, but to stick Dawson in at that point... Um, and of course, he's given Lurk and Beso the nod. Um, Married on the Midlands, are you surprised that we hadn't seen that yet from Colback? Because when we signed Harry Arter, I was really pleased because I was thinking he's the kind of player who could be, you know, could be the one to, um, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the neck, basically wind up the opposition, get in the ref's ear, G up his teammates. But that's also because I was hoping that Colback would have done that in the first couple of matches. Um, no, I wasn't too surprised. I guess there was a, a mitigating circumstances in that he hadn't played for such a long time, so he's he was out of fitness, um, and maybe the opportunity just didn't arise. We, we were we were so poor in in those first couple of games that. I don't think there, there maybe was an opportunity where you'd, you'd get about the referee because the referee hadn't done anything wrong. It was just the opposition were better than us. Um, the uh, the role he's playing most of the time, sort of the sitting midfielder, doesn't it doesn't give him that sort of license normally to drive and and sort of provide that attacking impetus. So I mean, I hope I hope I hope that he has got now got that freedom with Arthur in there as well. And both of them sort of one goes and the other one sits and then the other one sits, the other one goes and they just provide that sort of drive for 90 minutes. I really hope that's going to be the case now. And, I mean, my theory, loads of people have sort of said, oh, the derby match last season under lockdown was a turning point because mentally it, you know, conceding that late goal took the wind out of everyone's sails. I, my theory is, is along those lines, but it's slightly deeper than that. Um, and I have said this before, but I think it's worth saying again. I think that that was the match where Sabri 
probably for the first time um, as a Forest manager, he asked Forrest to play on the front foot, to press high, to put pressure on the Derby defence and keeper. And really, that's a match which we should have, could have won three or four nil. Um, and so when that didn't work out and we conceded that late equaliser, I think it not only took the wind out of the players' sails in terms of, oh crap, we let that one go. And then the whole late goals thing kind of mentally um, got in the players' minds. But I also think it meant that Sabri went ultra-conservative after that. What do you think, Baz? Uh, yeah, possibly. Uh, the, I mean, the, the Derby game was definitely a change of style, a, diff- a different way of doing things. And the whole setup was, I mean, I, I think actually we struggled through lockdown in general. I wonder if there was like stuff around fitness and behind the scenes things going on as well, which I think guess we're going to come, come to later as well. But, um, but yeah, we definitely played a different style that game. And that, that late goal was a turning point in many, many ways. Um, I really hope that, I mean, when we didn't play that, that same style against Bristol City yesterday, we didn't do that high pressing and, and that, um, it wasn't that sort of active thing. It was just, it was just a, there was, there was a, a drive amongst us that, that was different to, to, to the Derby. The Derby game was, was about stopping them playing, whereas this was about us getting forwards at every single opportunity. And that's, that's why it felt different to us, to, to me, um, yesterday. And Stephen, I think, thinking about kind of that conservative style of football, which has been a stick used to beat Sabri with even last season uh, to a point. Um, Judging by the way he set up the team against Huddersfield and yesterday, it does seem as though, whether it be by accident, as has been suggested, or by design, that the way in which Forrest should play will be now by using driving midfielders. So, for example, Colbach and Arta um, playing as more box-to-box players. Um, is that something you'd welcome, bearing in mind last season it was about sitting back and then using pace down the wings? I would welcome it because I, th- I think it's it's almost an evolution of the team and, and the, the tactics we saw last season. Um, those ta- those that, that team and those tactics, it took us to seventh and... A couple, within a couple of goals of the playoffs. So the approach obviously worked, but there were still areas where we could improve in it. And we all looked at last season and thought, well, we could have done with adding some more goals into our game. And had we scored some more goals and put teams away, a la Derby, Sheffield Wednesday away, there was Reading away as well, where we conceded late and you know we turned... We turned three points into one. There were a few occasions where, where we we didn't perhaps score enough goals to win games. So, when you look at the, the, those results, and then you look at quotes from Sabri where he said he's he was targeting players to to almost take us onto that next level, and I think Luke Freeman is an example of that. And then you you look at Colback and Arta, those kind of players. I look at it more as an evolution of what was going on from last season and I would hope that it would, there's still a chance for it to come good and I think certainly some of the performances this season perhaps have been better than the results have suggested but again it comes back to that, that whole run of form that stretches back into last season as well and it's five defeats on the trot this season, no wins in 11 and it's 
you know, I don't, I'm, I'm just worried you won't get the time, Sabri, to, to kind of see that transition through and, and really see what these players can do under his management. These new players, I should say. Mm, okay. Um, Maradon the Midlands, as I mentioned earlier, you know, regular listeners to the podcast will have known that you were sceptical about the way in which Forrest played, even last season, even when we were getting the results. Um, but we were getting results for six months until basically we weren't. Um, why do you think that changed? Um, to a certain to a certain extent, the opposition sort of worked us out. It was sort of the second time they would have played us. It was the second half of the season, so they would have seen what happened in the first game, uh, and then adjusted their game slightly for the second game. Um, some players went off form. Um, we didn't have as much luck playing playing that way, where you're only going to get three chances in a game. You're going to need a healthy slice of luck to take uh, one or two of those chances to win the game. Um, so yeah, a combination of all those factors. I think it's um, it was it was just, it was it was when we, even when we were winning sort of one nil. It was inevitable to me that it was going to come come apart at some point because you just can't do that over a forty-six game game season. It's just it's just not logical to do that. Just not have any of the ball and only create three or four chances and, and win the game. That just doesn't make any sense. That's it's just that's not how football works. Baz, we had six months last season whereby we were getting results. And the fans were singing Sabri's name every week. And even when results weren't going so well under lockdown, generally it was welcomed that the manager was given a new contract. Um, same question to you, really. What, what, what's happened? What's changed? I think, yeah, definitely part of it is we, we have been found out by the other teams because we, we only really had one way of playing. And so people could set themselves up to stop us doing that. But also that I, I think that the, and we, I, I mentioned it, we've, we've all talked about it last season, which is we did have an over-reliance on Graben because he was the only focal point for any attacks there was. And one of the, the te- most telling moments of when we were good was, was it Fulham or Swansea, the one where basically Graben ran the entire length of the pitch to score? That was kind of the epitome of the way we played. It was sit really, 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 really deep, wait for them to make a mistake and then run right right the other end of the pitch. And then as soon as Graben, I don't know what, what happened with him towards the end of the season, maybe it was just tiredness, maybe it was just the weight of the, the pressure of carrying the entire team in that way. Um, so as soon as people stopped him playing, then that, it shut the entire team down. We had no outlet whatsoever. And so that's kind of the, one of the, the positives for this season is actually we've got more forward players to, to give the ball to. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to this later, but I don't think we know how to play Lyle Taylor, Taylor yet. Um, and Nunez Acosta yesterday wasn't, wasn't great, but at least it, not everything's resting on Graben's shoulders this season. And um, Stephen, one of the things that I really was impressed with with Sabri last season was that I thought that he managed to get a relatively limited squad that he inherited for the most part. And even the signings that came in last summer 
for the most part, weren't his. But he managed to get a team playing greater than the sum of its parts, which is exactly what I think is a mark of a good manager. Um, And to the point whereby, you know, when lockdown hit, loads of people, pundits, fans, players, managers were saying, you know what, this Sabri Lamushi, he's one of the coaches of the season in the uh, in the championship. So again, same question to you. What's what's happened? I think I think the goalposts have changed in terms of expectations from last season. Uh, when Sabri came in, I think we'd have said, Oh yeah, if we if we get to the playoffs, that's a, a brilliant season. We've probably we've probably overachieved if we've got into the playoffs. But given that the way Sabri set us up, got us into the playoffs for the vast majority of the season, and there were even periods where we were looking like we could get top two, it probably raised expectations perhaps a little bit too much, given the, the actual quality of the squad and, and and what Sabri had at his disposal. So, when we didn't get into the playoffs, it was disappointing. And then you factor in how we didn't get into the playoffs. It was a pretty much a collapse. And suddenly, it feel, you know, it looked probably 10 times worse than what it was. So I, th- I think the expectations have been raised and those expectations have gone into this season as well, where it's now, if we're not in the top six, the manager's not performing, he's not good enough and he's got to go. I, I, I mean, this comes on to a point which... I would want to raise as well is the quality of the squad. Are we are we convinced that this is a top six squad or does it, because of the likes of Watson and Dawson not playing, those key players, those those key influencers in that team, they're not in there now. Is this team not performing like a top six squad should be? Or, you know, are we overestimating the quality that we've got in the squad? Yeah, I understand what you're getting at. And we uh, we will come back to that sort of composition of of the squad and the staff uh, a little bit later on. I think um, if we talk about uh, with Sabri, uh, Meridon the Midlands, how is it that um, in terms of expectations, do you think that there's basically a second season syndrome that kicked in early because of lockdown, because um, as Baz has mentioned in the past and a few people uh, on social media have mentioned, he's not viewed that fondly by fans of Wren and the Ivory Coast. Um, well, we started to play badly before the lockdown even came though. That, that was the thing. There was the games against Millwall, Charlton, uh, to name but two. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a second season syndrome. I just, I just think we, we just weren't playing well. I mean, he got found out a bit, and it's just his, his, his defensive nature. It just got turned up to eleven. Nine times out of ten, we've got better players than the opposition, but we should take it to them. We should take the game to them. It, it doesn't make any sense to to uh, negate our own positive attributes. Just to just to sit back against a poor team. I heard I heard Mick McCarthy on the radio last week say, um, "I didn't mind a mind a, a free scoring match as long as we had the better players because I knew my players would score more goals than the others." He said, "So they're making a joke about how 
how he likes defensive football. He said, I don't mind a, a, an all-out all attacking display by both teams, as long as I've got the better players. And that seems to make perfect sense to me. Who, who else has got a, a Lewis Graben in their team? Not many teams. So what, why aren't we making the best use of him? Why aren't we getting balls into the box? Stephen, um, just briefly, um, we did you welcome at the time, not with hindsight, but at the time, did you welcome the awarding of a new contract to Sabri Lamushi uh, just shy of the end of last season? I did, because I, th- I thought that he deserved the opportunity to take the club on. Uh, I thought there were a lot of positives that came about from him being manager and, you know, there were a lot of good things that we did under him last season. And purely because of also, we've gone through so many managers over the last 20 years and it's not got us anywhere. And we had a manager who'd taken us to our highest position for the best part of 10 years got a team playing better than the sum of its parts and at the time I think it made sense to have that continuity and a bit of stability which the club had been lacking for a very long time. Uh, Married on the Midlands same question to you at the time did you welcome it? Yeah absolutely because I I thought he'd have that year's experience in the championship and he'd he'd be willing to uh take on that knowledge and, and evolve the team and build the team uh, to play in a slightly better way. Um, unfortunately, it's the first two games of the season completely sapped that optimism out of me. I just, um, I feared after those first, the QPR and the Barnsley games, he's, he's learnt nothing. Um, I'm, hope, I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong and it's just early days and he's going to change. But after those two games, I've, I've never been quite so down after the opening league game of the season just to sort of think, well, I don't think we're going to do anything this season. Uh, and Baz, same question to you, but I'm going to, you know, add in that, you know, we'd already started our downturn in form by the time that Sabri was awarded that contract. But at the time, did you think it was a good move? Uh, I did. I thought it was exactly the right move. And the reason was because we needed continuity. If a new manager came in, then what would happen was the new manager would want to rip the squad up, bring in 13 or 14 brand new players, and we'd have a stuttering start to the season because we're rebuilding from scratch. Um, yeah, that seems to us be what's exactly happened. <laughs> yeah. OK. And uh, coming up in part two, we will talk about your opinions as fans, because we did a poll uh, which came up with some interesting results. And uh, in the meantime, we'd like to introduce to you a new feature. Tom's Top Tips. We are really pleased to be welcoming a new contributor, Tom Newton. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, thank you. And uh, we'll get to know you a little bit better in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, you're here to give us some of Tom's top tips. What is it you'd like to cover today? Um, Basically... um... In the last few games, what I've actually seen, um, I think Forest need to change mentality in more of an attacking sense. Not um, like gung-ho, play like Kevin Keegan type of football where it's a 5-4, but we need to like um, have a um, high tempo. Uh, I just think um, certain players are, um, are being failed by the system. If Sabri is going to stay, He's got to basically change his uh, mentality and um, system, but at the moment, I cannot see him changing. I think he's very much one-dimensional. 
and basically we'll just keep making the, uh, the same mistakes. Okay, so top tip number one there was a high tempo style of play. Uh, what about team selection, Tom? Um, team selection, it does frustrate me when you're playing two defensive midfielders against like the likes of Huddersfield. Um, I think that you only really need one defensive midfielder in there. Then obviously you can pack your midfield and um, make it look about we want the ball rather than just sitting back off team. So, so yeah, I just want him to be a bit more positive rather than like setting up for like a one nil win because in the like games last year against Derby etc., one um, nil wins are never enough. So top tip number two: positive team selection. What about the fact that we've basically shipped in a whole new squad of players and now we've got to ship them out? Anything to say about that? I can see in one sense why a good squad, a big squad's good, but you've got lots of players out there who, from one week to the next, don't have any a consistent run on the side. And when you look at the team, it's like the squad is strong, but you've got like players there from like the Korean career of like uh, Bong and Heffalo. You, you've even got uh, Zach Clough there from the. Um, Mark Warburton here and that's not sustainable but when you've got players who are just willing just to sit there and um, not actually um, play for the club. So it seems as though top tip number three from you Tom is don't have too big a turnover of players so you can keep a good uh, a good balance in the squad. Thank you very much for your three top tips there Tom. Hi Stephen you love a bit of merch don't you? Yes I do what have you got in mind? Well, Flatback 4 have been in touch and they've got a great range of forest-inspired clothing and they've asked us to let you, the listeners, know about it. Oh yes, I saw that they have a range of t-shirts, hoodies and jumpers as part of their Nottingham Forest range. They do, and as well as the forest-inspired range, they've got match day gear like polo shirts and loungewear and they've got jackets and, and face masks and they've even got babies and kids wear. Where can I find them? Well, their website is flat-back-4, that's the number 4, so flatback4.co.uk. But you can also search for Flatback4 on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Cool, I'm going to have a look now. Wait, it gets better, because if you mention 1865 at the checkout, then not only do you get some great merch with free UK shipping, but it also supports us at the 1865 Forest Ramble. Amazing. So I go to the Flatback 4 website, mention 1865 when I check out, and I can support the podcast at no extra cost to me. That's right. So visit flat-back-4, number 4.co.uk, or look for Flatback 4 on social media. The 1865 Forest Ramble Sketch by Jeremy Davis. Hello, and welcome to a special East Midlands edition of Pointless the show which pits underperforming football teams against one another to see which one can go longer without registering their first points of the new season. In the red corner, unable to see the wood for the trees, we have suave, sophisticated and silky smooth Sabri Lamouchi, manager of two times Champions of Europe. Does anyone ever mention that, by the way? The guys in the Garibaldi red, Nottingham Forest. In the white corner, we have a former Dutch international footballer, manager of Derby County, Philip Koku. Two big clubs, two big rivals going head-to-head like you've never seen them before in a race to see who can head into the international break without being completely and utterly pointless. First question to Sabri. You've got an enigmatic Portuguese genius with magic in his boots 
who may just hold the key to unlocking those pesky opposition defensive that have stopped your players scoring a single goal this season. What do you do with him? Put him in the team or sell him? You've answered sell him. Let's see how many of the fans agreed with that. Absolutely none. Congratulations, Sabri. It's a pointless answer. Although it may sometimes seem as if Sabri is attempting to win some sort of managerial game of pointless, making decisions which he's sure wouldn't have occurred to the fans, at least we'll be spared any more canine soft porn in JC's YouTube fitness videos. Come to that, with Matty Cash gone as well, both of Forrest's online fitness gurus have now left the club. Surely it's not too late to put in a late bid for Joe Wicks? Now that really would be a pointless signing. After Wayne Rooney's late winner for Derby against Norwich, the East Midlands Derby edition of Pointless will sadly have to be consigned to the realms of the what might have been. Not unlike Rooney's record at major international tournaments, you might say, but that's a subject for another pod. Maybe Sabri can find another light entertainment TV show to go on. For some reason, a certain catchphrase from The Apprentice springs to mind. I run a Twitter poll and it said, how many more games would you give Sabri Lamushi as the Forest boss? Now, I ran this before yesterday's match, so it was at the start of the week. And I gave people the option of no more matches, get rid of him straight away. Uh, give him one more match, which was yesterday's game against Bristol City. Give him two more matches. So let's come back from the international break and see how things go. Or give him seven more matches, which would take us through to the November break. And it was quite an interesting spread of opinion. So uh, just over a quarter of people, we had 859 votes, by the way. So just over a quarter of those said, let's get rid straight away. We had uh, 27% who also said, let's give him the Bristol City match. But also interestingly, 26% said they'd give him until the November international break. Now, I'm going to stick my cards on the table uh, which is, that's what I would have said at the time, and that's probably still what I think now. Let's stick with him until until the November break. Um, Stephen, were you surprised by those results, and what's your opinion? I wasn't surprised, really. I think it, it, it tallies with kind of the, the, the opinions we've seen out there. There, there are plenty of people who would like to see him go straight away and uh, as we all know on social media they they can be quite vocal about it um but you, you there are plenty of fans out there who probably are looking at at the bigger picture and looking at the new players that have come in the maybe the way things ended last season and you know needing the opportunity to to turn that around and and I think it is just about getting those those players bedded in and getting a settled side together and, and see how we kick on. And I would I would agree with you in that seven more games up until the November break would be enough time to to get those players bedded in, gelled together and, and, and give Sabri a bit more time to work with them and see what he can do. Baz, you said just before the break about, you know, it, the thing with changing manager means it often brings that big change turnover in personnel and so on and so forth. Well, we've had that anyway. So what difference does it make if the manager goes? Well, I mean, the question there is how much of this new squad is Sabri's squad? You, you mentioned earlier how the, the squad that he inherited last season, to some extent, wasn't his. It was put in place by the 
the previous uh, managers. It was put in place by the recruitment team at the club, whereas this one, we get the impression that this is much more his squad. These are the players that he's asked for and the ones that he wants. So, yes, he should be given the chance to, to bed them in. I, I have to say, on my take on it, I would have given him the Bristol City game, but we did enough yesterday, even though we didn't get the points, to now give him till the international, the second international break. So it's one of those. Um, we looked dire. And you mentioned something about um, there, there was a possibility of another club coming in for him, and that would be like the David Platt solution. And before yesterday's game, I was uh, that would have been perfect. <laughs> Whereas I bet there was just an inkling that there is something in this squad now. So he should be given the chance to build that squad his way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was going to come on to that in just a minute. I mean, uh, Married on the Midlands, um, if uh, the, the the club from Qatar, which is Al Duhail, who I've never heard of, but equally Qatari football is not really my... Uh, not really my forte. Um, so Sabri apparently confirmed that there had been this approach. He also said that he turned down an approach from a Premier League club last season to stay with Forrest. Um, but you and I were watching lots of football together around the time of the David Platt era. And I think we can all agree, can't we, that when the England under-21s came in to take Platt, um, offer him a contract, and it meant that he left Forrest, I think everyone from fans to players to even the club hierarchy were really, really relieved. Do you not feel the same about this approach from Qatar? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, before yesterday's match, it, yeah, exactly, I would have felt that way. It was, um, we, I mean, we've been so poor this season. There's such a whirl of negativity around us that it, it would have been the ideal solution, really. The, the, one of the reasons keeping him in a, in a job is that we only just offered him a new contract, so uh, we would have had to pay um, a lot of compensation to him to get rid of him and get rid of all... He brought in about half a dozen backroom staff as well, so you have to pay off all their contracts as well. So, I mean, the ideal situation would be if... Uh, uh, the Qatari club came in and took all them off our hands and gave us money for it. So that, I think that would have been an ideal situation. Um, let, I mean, there's there's enough glimmer of hope from yesterday's performance to think, well, yeah, let's let's stick with him and let's let's see what he can do now. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is slightly reminiscent of the David Platt situation, although that that sort of did drag on for a lot a lot longer. And uh, um, I'm, I don't know if it, it, that was pretty dire as well, I suppose. And just coming back to you, Baz, because uh, obviously when we first started podcasting back in the old days of the old 1865 uh, uh, podcast, it was when Forrest were, had just got promoted under Colin Calderwood. And um, of course, those are different times. These days, a manager, if you have a bad run of three or four matches, you do expect your job to be in danger. But then Colin Calderwood had um, a lot of goodwill and he had a chairman who stuck with him for half a season, pretty much. Um, and I remember when we were podcasting, we were saying things like, well, it's that thing of like, they're having a go, but it keeps hitting the post, or Nathan Tyson gets it on goal, and then he slips it just the other side of of the keeper and just wide, Um, and so I guess in that sense, you could see that they were trying, and you could see that they were, um, you know, giving it their all, but it just wasn't happening. Do you see a parallel with... Forest 
Yep, I mean, one of the things I mentioned in the match report is we got something like 17 shots and only one goal out of it. So in that way, yes, that yesterday does sort of reflect that. At least we were trying, it just wasn't coming off. Um, the question is, yeah, is is trying enough? Or we're, we're in a situation where we actually do need results. And if we'd got a point yesterday, then I think everything would have looked much, 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 much better. The fact that we're still on zero points means that a lot of those, that quarter of the people who didn't, uh, who didn't want to give Sabri a chance, I can still say we're still on zero points and this is too far into the season to be on zero points. So uh, some of the comments that came in at the time, uh, we had some people who were saying, well, you know, we need to get rid. So uh, Reese said it and um, who else said it? Uh, we, need, we saw Clem saying that there needs to be a real change. Uh, we saw um, a few people saying, like Ben, for example, and people saying, well, the trouble is, is that at the time, they're saying there's no point in giving him any more matches because he's not shown any, any willingness to change. And as we discussed earlier, we don't know whether the willingness, the sort of the slight change in mentality and performance level uh, at 2 nil down was coming from the players or from the manager or a bit of both. Uh, so we can't, we can't anticipate that. So that's the people saying, well, get rid, because you can change the personnel, but unless the style of play changes, unless the tactics change, unless the mentality changes, um, then what's the point? On the other hand, there are a lot of people making a very similar point, which is that he has been given the resources to you know, bring in his own backroom team. He is being given a lot of players uh, and he's also, you know, there's also a real imperative of the club to get rid of the bomb squad. And it means that we've got, um, you know, those two kind of polarised opinions. Let's talk about that issue of players and the bomb squad as well. We've got, um, was it something like 65 players that Forrest have signed in the last three and a half years? Um, Stephen, obviously we've had quite a lot of different managers in that time. We've won four different managers in that time. So this suggests that it's an approach taken by the club to have a high turnover of players, doesn't it? It does, but it's also a product of going through the the number of managers we have in in a short space of time again, because you're just bringing in new new managers. They're going to want to bring in their own players. So that means some will leave, some will stay, and then new ones will be brought in. And before you know it, you, you are building up a bomb squad because there will always be players who a new manager doesn't want and you've then got to find a way of moving them on and getting them off the wage bill and as we've seen with with some of our bomb squad that's been harder to do for some players than others but it's, it's, a, it's a product I think of yeah it's, it's down to do with a hierarchy to a degree because they're sanction, sanctioning signings in the first place but it's also the approach we've taken and the fact that we've got through quite a few managers in the last couple of years. So this was one of the reasons why I was prepared to give Sabri more time as well, because you, through doing that, you create a more settled squad of players and you create a core group that are those managers players. And I think that creates, personally creates a better atmosphere and it just creates a tighter unit as a team. Um, and it's that's not an approach we've we've taken at Forest for for you know a good few years now, probably 
Billy Davis at a push. Mark one was the last time we had some kind of stability, you know, of that kind with a settled squad and obviously the same manager in place for more than one season. That was also because his job was to recommend and advise rather than to sign players, though, I guess. Um, Maradon <laughs> the Midlands, yesterday in Sabri's post-match interview, he was asked about Thiago Silva leaving and he said the player wanted to leave. And our WhatsApp group has been interesting over the last week or so because after the Huddersfield match, the silence was deafening on our group. And then yesterday we all had quite a lot to say. Um, but you, you sounded quite sceptical about the Thiago Silva situation, you said that, you know, you think it points to bigger issues. What do you mean by that? Um, well, if he wanted to go to Olympiacos, it suggests to me that somebody at Olympiacos either contacted him directly and told him, we want you, or they contacted his agent and told him, we want Thiago. Um, from what Sabri was saying, he didn't sound like he wanted him to leave. And so that, that suggests to me that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And instead of working uh, together in unison to sort of build both clubs up in strength, um, they're starting to work against each other. Are you saying that because Olympiacos and Forest have that same hierarchy, though? Yeah, I'm saying that because we've got the same hierarchy. Um, in an ideal situation, they should sort of work together um, and try and get Forest promoted, because that would mean the ho- the organisation as a whole. We'll have more money in 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 it, and then Forest will be able to help out Olympiacos by removing players there on loan, and it just improves it just improves the entire quality of the two squads if they're both doing well. Baz, but that idea of players wanting to leave and the club not being able to do anything about it, and agents tapping up and so on—that's that's normal, isn't it? And that's just the way it is. Um, you also had something to say about the Thiago Silva situation. Um, and this just goes to show what a hot mess football is. Because uh, you said that there was a story in the post saying that Thiago Silva said that his time in Nottingham was the happiest in his career. But Danny Taylor for The Athletic is saying that Thiago wasn't happy in Nottingham and that's why he wanted to move. Exactly. The, the, the whole thing, what's happened, I, we, 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 we touched on it last year, um, so the the recruitment in the summer was um, uh, when Sabri joined was obviously it wasn't Sabri's doing, but there was there was some like gaps in there, especially with not having cover for Graben. And then the recruitment uh, in the winter break, that uh, the the winter window that was uh, pretty much generally regarded as a disaster. Your Diacarbis and all that sort of thing. And then what's happened this time round? It was almost what we were saying. The style of play isn't great, but we can see that he wants to have this core, very, very tight core of players. And then the others are sort of out on their ear a little bit. And then what happened towards the end of the season was maybe we just need to strengthen. So we've got backup for each of those those first choice players, which we didn't really have. And then what we've actually done is thrown it all away. And there must be a reason that we've thrown it all away like that, that to throw out, to bring in effectively a whole new first team like that when... There was this idea that is the idea is what was needed some some just strengthening what we've already got or is it ripping it all to pieces and starting over? And if you're ripping it all to pieces and starting over, that's always been what we've always said was the problem with bringing in a new manager. There's something that doesn't sit right in that that whole strategy, or if there is a strategy at all. 
and I think that that's that hits upon it, isn't it? Is that do the club have a strategy? Um, look, we know that things are better at the risk of stating the obvious. We know that things are better at Forest now than they were under Fawaz because the actual fabric of the club was completely torn apart. There was only one director. There's barely any staff at the club. Um, Dougie Friedman and Stuart Pearce in particular as managers of the club they had to be directors of football scouts recruiters as first as well as first team coaches as well as managers they had to combine all of that into their roles and now we have got a structure but in terms of the way in which the uh, transfers for example are being done in terms of the approach to recruitment of staff as well um Stephen are you worried about that? There's been a few signings now where you look at it and think it seems a bit reactionary or a bit knee-jerk. Um, you look at the defence from the start of the season to now, it's basically, in, you could pretty much field an entire new back Sorry, four back. from the first game of the okay. season. You know, uh, we've got uh, Nicola Ayanu, uh, who's signed from Apoel Nicosia, left-back. Then we've had Embreso, McKenna, centre-backs and Cyrus Christie at right-back. It's an entirely new back four. You can field probably a new midfield as well in there. You look at all of the, the signings that have come in. I'm not saying the signings are particularly bad. Um, if you look at McKenna, for example, I think he's been trapped by Forrest for a couple of years now. So it's not a completely scattergun approach as in, all oh, that player's available, so we'll just go and get him. I think there's a little bit of strategy behind the kind of players that are being brought in, but it's kind of almost like the timing of it. It's like, okay, we lost to keep you up, so we've brought a few more players in. Then we lost against Cardiff, and then we lost against Huddersfield, and we've brought some more players in off the back of those games. It seems a little bit, my concern is that it's a bit too reactionary, and it doesn't come across as if it's been very well planned. Hmm. And, of course, what we don't know is how long those those signings are in the making. So, um, sure, like McKenna, we know that Forrest have been linked to them for a while. Um, as an example, Colback, everyone's been talking about Colback for the last two, two, three years. Um, so those ones have kind of been in the offing for quite a while. Um, obviously, there's also going to be speculation about the Georges Mendes uh, link. Married on the Midlands, we saw a flurry of Portuguese players coming in. And now it seems as though we're seeing them all go. Yep. Um I mean, I think it is worrying what's happened with, with the recruitment because we've, if there is an argument, say, yes, if you see a good player, you go out and sign him and then in a couple of years' time, his value will rise and you can sell him for more money. But that goes against, we've just recreated a whole new bomb squad from nothing. Um, we were just about getting it under control. There's maybe two or three players left, Zach Clough, Heffler, um, one or two others maybe, and we managed to control it and we had a good core of players and we just needed a bit of augmentation. Just We, we needed a replacement for Watson, a backup striker, um, maybe one or two other players. And we've just gone and and bought loads of players. And the George Mendes thing was one, one aspect, but I think the number of people involved with transfers is another problem. We've got sporting directors, head of scouting in France, uh, director of football, Sabri's now having his say. Um, it seems like to me there's, there's too many people just recommending signings and pushing them through just to justify their existence, to justify their wage. Um, 
And also that all goes again in with the context that we're in a pandemic. So there's no money coming into the club to have made that many signings and then get left short of creative players again at the end of it. It's just crazy. We've gone from a situation where we thought we had a strong squad um, ready to challenge for promotions, thinking now after we signed sort of 12 players, we're still short of one or two players. It's, it's madness. It really is. Uh, Baz, the net spend on transfers since uh, the Maranakis regime took over is actually pretty good, but obviously wages are the problem. Um, do you think that, I mean, Maradon the Midlands talks about a bomb squad, but actually I'm, I'm not as pessimistic as, as, as he is in the sense that I think like players like Ribeiro and Figueiredo, if they're not part of the manager's plans, I think we can probably um, sell them maybe back to Portugal or overseas for as much money, if not more, than we paid for them. So, in, again, in terms of that net spend, that's good. In terms of the wages, that's probably good. Um, a player like Albert Adoma, he's been paid off. Ben Lawan's apparently one of our highest wage earners, and it looks as though he's on his way. Um, so, I mean, I say I'm not so pessimistic about it, but in terms of that idea of strategy and in terms of that turnover of players, is that something you're comfortable with? Not at all. The, the, the thing about the not having a creative player, that really worries me. Is like now everything right now rests on Luke Freeman. Um, and I don't quite understand how we've got there. From um, and You don't we, even own, obviously. Yeah. And and the, the rumour that, that Cafu's coming in to a, as, as a swap for Silva. Um, so we're going to add another defensive midfielder into there when actually we're, we're, quite, we're quite all right for that. Uh, it, I, I don't understand what the 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 plan is what the strategy is and it just it does seem to be like just pile them all in and see what happens and that's what got us into the fact that we've got a bomb squad in the first place so it might not be something that comes to to like if you remember a few years ago when um brendan rogers took over at swansea one of the things that he did was he instituted like a top-down review of how the club worked and they kind of run out of that now they changed owners didn't they a few years back Mm -hmm. but before that it didn't matter which manager came in because the recruitment and the style of play was consistent throughout the entire club and that seems to be what we're missing managers will come and go players will come and go but if you can make sure that it's consistent so it doesn't matter so much when they come and go then that kind of gives you a foundation whereas at the moment it seems there is an aspect of knee-jerk reactionary stuff to it. Let's just get people in and see what happens. And that's really worrying. And just staying with you for a second there, Baz, because obviously we grew up watching Forrest, you know, the, the nice young men with nice smiles um, under Brian Clough when we first started watching matches. And that kind of ethos continued under uh, Frank Clark. And then after the Platt years, there was... Uh, uh, Paul Hart as well, bringing that ethos through. And that's one of the things that I think if you speak to, and younger listeners, forgive us for this, but if you speak to Forest fans who are maybe 35 or over, that's one of the things that they really closely identified with being a Forest supporter is we we love the fact that there's actually players coming through. There's a family feel. It feels like a, a community hub rather than just a repository for people coming in and then going out, which is why that even though Pierre van Hooydonk was an amazing player um, for, what, nearly two years at Forest, um, people didn't really take to him that well, even before the strike action, because 
he had that air of being a bit of a mercenary. So, Baz, is that is that something that's important to you? Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I've done the, this interview with Wes Hall um, from the States and he says on that, your podcast feed, kids. Yep. <laughs> and one of the things he talks about is that one of the differences between American sport and British sport is that we have this family feel. And he, he says he, he definitely feels it around Forest as a club, the way it's planted in the community, something that, that he can see that the club's done a lot of work to bring back after the Fawaz years. Um, we ha- we used to have, as you say, in the olden days, and and to some ex- one of the reasons I liked Lamushi to some extent was we had a style of play. We were known for sitting there, soaking up the pressure, and then hitting people on the break. Um, maybe not quite the way that Lamushi's been doing it, but that that whole there was a, a, a forest style, as it were. You keep it on the deck, but hit on the break, and and that's the kind of bit. Then with the O'Neill time. It was we didn't we didn't have an identity under him. It was like he was just figuring stuff out and chucking stuff at the wall to see what would work. And that's what seems to last season when it was working, we had an identity to some extent. And now it seems again we're just chucking stuff at the wall to see if it's going to work or not. And if, that's if, the worrying bit. If I can just interrupt there, sorry. I mean, there's some of the signings they've made already, which you can already say they're hardly ever going to play. Uh, you look at Guerrero, um, Fouad, um, I can't see them ever really playing. And for somebody who's only signed sort of a few weeks ago, for us to say that, it's crazy. We're just building up a bomb squad. It's, it is a scattergun approach by them. You look, at, you look at players like Bong, played one game, and then he's bombed out of the squad. It's just, it's just not right. That, that points of failure of the hierarchy bringing these players, but also it points to Lamushi. Why can't he coach these players to be give him another chance? Is is that the sort of club we want to be where you have one bad half of football and then you never play for us again? There's no there's no second chances, no room for improvement. It's just it just doesn't sit right with me at all. Stephen, I'll come to you um on, on a similar theme. Um when I took Karanka took over as manager, um Karanka came in and then on in the space of two days at the end of January, he brought in, I think was it basically similar kind of numbers of players. He brought an entirely new squad to, you know, pull Forrest up by the bootstraps. And that's what Sabri has done now, but without that kind of uh, sense of we need to do this to, well, I don't know. Does it have that same sense of we need to do this to save our season? It seems a bit odd to do that at the start of the season. I think when Karanka brought in those players in the way that he did, he was addressing areas of the team where, we perhaps needed some steel and some some graft in there. If you think of a home game against Preston, where we were completely abject under Karanka, and he was that was almost like the turning point for him, where he said, "Right, these players are not good enough. I need a certain type of player bringing in to get this team basically out of the down this downward spiral that we're threatening to go into." So, likes of Watson and Colback came in, and it just gave us that. It gave us something that was lacking in the team at that time. When I look at the Forest squad now, I don't think it needs a drastic overhaul. And this is what does concern me about these new players being brought in. Um, I think even if there have been players that have perhaps been on our radar for a little while now, bringing them in in the way that we have does seem very reactionary and almost be off the back of a bad result or a bad 45 minutes of football, you know. 
I would argue that Mbeso, McKenna, they're not exactly miles better than what we had in, in Figueredo and Worrell. But all of a sudden, those two players who were Figs and Worrell, who were key members of the squad last season, suddenly now could be nowhere to be seen if you know the new signings are being brought in to take their place. And the same with Ribeiro at left-back. Is, is, is the new signing, Ianu, going to be the new left-back? That means you've got a perfectly good championship left-back in Ribeiro jettisoned. And he's had a year of championship football and he could perhaps settle in and become even better. I'm just concerned that we're, what we're bringing in isn't necessarily what we need to be bringing in. I think a winger and a creative player, for example, would be more what we, what we should be looking to sign. And I do worry that it's, we're not actually solving problems in the team that really need to be solved. I just, I just do not understand. We've just created a problem where we were in such a strong position, finally, where we'd got rid of lots of Deadwood players. We had a good core strength of a, t- a core, core strength team, and and we just needed a little bit of minor surgery. Whereas what we've done is we've done full re- reconstructive plastic surgery and a heart transplant and a kidney transplant when we didn't need one. It's just it's just madness. It's, we've just we've had we've taken the basis of a, a team that's finished seventh and just needed a bit of improvement to get it up the league a bit more. We just ripped it apart. It just makes zero sense, especially during a pandemic when we've got no money coming in. Uh, so, again, that thing about uh, money coming in, I suspect that that's behind the third kit, isn't it? It's like you can't get fans through the door. Now, we know that replica kits are one of the things where you can have a massive markup. So do we need a third kit? No, but loads of people seem to like it and loads of people are buying it. I'm just going to do a quick double round robin of you um, just to finish up for today. Right now on the 4th of October, 2020, Stephen, Sabri, stick or twist? One word. Stick. Married on the Midlands? Stick. Baz? November. Mm, okay. Give me one name, Stephen, that you would go for as the replacement should Sabri get the boot? Might be unrealistic, but Eddie Howe. Married on the Midlands? Big Sam. Oh, okay. And Baz? Absolutely no idea. How's the only name that springs to mind, but as you say, unrealistic? You see, and uh, I would probably think that the most realistic one in terms of results uh, and availability would be Chris Hewton. But, you know, whichever person you go for is going to create its own problems, particularly uh, Maradon the Midlands suggestion there. All, all, well, all the names that are being bandied around have a reputation, apart from maybe Eddie Howe, have a reputation for playing really, really negative football. And that's part of the problem that we as fans have with the side is we're too negative. So bringing someone in to do more of the same, is that going to change anything for the better? I think he'd, he'd guarantee you results though. And that's, if, if, if Sabri's going, it means we're still losing. Um, as a, a, a big Sam, Tony Pulis, I think they could take our, our, our squad of giant defenders and turn them into uh, promotion contenders. But also, Big Sam and Tony Pulis, they cost lots of money and they want to buy lots of players on expensive contracts. Well, the uh, transfer window is going, coming to an end now, so that won't really be an option for a few months. I, th- I think they could... Uh, probably get us up the table by Christmas. So, and that's why I would put in the argument that Chris Hewton would be a better option because 
he gets results, he's a, he's a good guy, but he's able to be ruthless. The style of play isn't great, but it at least um, achieves results, and he's less abrasive than the Pulises and Big Sams of this world, and he's certainly less likely to uh, to headbutt you in the shower while totally stark bollock naked. So oh, from there, there's nowhere else we can go, is there, in this podcast? So thank you very much uh, to you, listeners, for joining us. Uh, as Baz mentioned earlier, we've got an interview with Big Wes Hall coming up in your podcast uh, feed next week. Thank you to Stephen and to Maradon the, Mod- Maradon the Modlands, to the Maradon the Midlands, and to Baz, and thank you also to Jeremy and Tom for your contributions. Uh, we will be back with more match reports. We'll have the Big Wes interview. And uh, if anything happens with the Savage situation, we'll be all over it. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.